The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. Tonight, we get the privilege, and I say privilege, I mean privilege, to hear from one of the most genuine guys that I know. And uh, if you've spent time with him, you know this, that he sits in front of you or next to you, and he listens to what you say. And he hears it, and it, it connects. It, it triggers in his mind. He knows what you're saying. And uh, he loves college students. He loves you guys a lot. And uh, I've been blessed to be able to spend time with him on a weekly basis this year. And I've seen that in our conversations and the way he, he talks about the time that he spends with you guys. And, uh, and he loves Jesus with his heart. And uh, it's, uh, it's been fun to get to know him a little bit. And he, no one has the finger wag like Ryan Andrews. And he stands about six foot tall, weighing in at 160 pounds. He's from Highline High School and your University of Washington. His name is Ryan Andrew. Ryan, Ryan. Guys, that's Brian over there. Brian, thank you very much for that, huh? All right, hold on one second, you guys. Okay. Hola. Amigos. Hello, friends. Um, Brian was correct. My name is Ryan. And uh, I've worked with you men this year as an intern. Today is May 21st, and we will be continuing uh, the dive into our series of the Psalms. Uh, but before we jump in, I want to give you guys a little, bit, a, a little bit of a deeper look into who I am. And so, yes, my name is Ryan for the third time. Um, I'm an 80s baby. I was born in 1989. The 80s were great. Um, I'm from South Seattle, which is like five minutes from the airport. Uh, I grew up in a town called Normandy Park, uh, which nobody... Uh, Normandy Park is between Berrien and Des Moines. Uh, yeah. So uh, I'm a graduate of the Highland High School. Go Pirates. Uh, I graduated in 2007 from high school, uh, zoomed over to UW, uh, hung out at the IMA until 2011, <laughs> and I graduated in uh, 2011 with an econ degree. That would be economics. Uh, I have two younger brothers, Kyle and Tyler, who are both taller than me, and that is okay. Uh, Kyle, can we see Kyle? There's Kyle. Uh, Kyle and I have bonded many ways growing up. Uh, if we weren't TPing our own house together... Uh, <laughs> We were probably playing Dance Dance Revolution in our basement. Uh, can I see a raise of hands of those of you who know what Dance Dance Revolution is? Oh, wait. Okay. That is sufficient. Okay. Um, for those of you who don't know, dance... Actually, everyone knows. I'm not even going to describe it. Um, so, yeah. We step on a lot of pads, 
and we look at things going up and down on a screen and try to step on the pad to the beat of a song. Um, this was a great workout, and that's why it was a great video game. Uh, it provided Kyle and I an opportunity to uh, work on our endurance, and it also provided us an opportunity to work on our musical rhythm. Um, unfortunately, I mean, fortunately and unfortunately, I guess, Kyle is the one who you see singing in front of all you guys and playing the guitar, not me, so I didn't get that skill. Uh, Kyle is in a band. Uh, the band is called San Juan, and they play some, some good music. Kyle, you owe me. Um, <laughs> we both have seen Billy Madison way too much, uh, which accounts for one of the many reasons uh, as to why I believe Kyle and I truly understand each other's humor. Um, Kyle's a biology major, and this year he'll be graduating. Um, he's the man. Um, next we have Ty. Oh, quickly. I'm sorry. You want to go back to that, Connor? Connor's on InTech PowerPoint tonight. Can everyone snap for him really quick? Okay, that's good. Thank you. <laughs> um, Kyle's wearing... Kyle's a chick magnet for Halloween this year. He's got Barbies. Um, Barbies attached to a sweatshirt. Very creative. Very creative costume. Um, okay, sorry, Connor. Next we have Tyler. There's Tyler. Tyler's my youngest brother. He's a sophomore uh, at Mount Rainier High School. He just turned 16, so keep your eye out for a Nissan on the street. It's black. Uh, I'm kidding. Kyle, or Tyler's been a great driver uh, in the few times that I have gone in the car with him. Um, we're eight years apart, uh, and so unfortunately, we never really got to attend school together growing up, never elementary school nor high school. Uh, but thankfully, Tyler is a fan of Spanish, and so when I can, when he allows me to, uh, I like to help him with that. Um, Tyler and I both enjoy tennis and basketball. Basketball so much so that this year we will be taking our talents to Spokane um, for HoopFest. Uh, we will test our abilities against the greatest three on three turn or teams in the world as uh, El Diente de un Dragón, which means the tooth of a dragon. Um, so we should be good. We should be good. Um, it has been awesome to be Tyler's big brother this year after being so far away from him last year uh, in his first few steps uh, in high school. He's a sophomore now. This summer, he will be heading to Belize on a mission trip, which I'm very excited for, and I'm pretty sure he's excited for as well. Uh, Tyler is the man as well. Uh, next, we have... My mom, it's a small picture, I'm sorry. Um, my amazing mother, Lisa, she is full of talent. Um, if I have ever befriended anyone or had any success in making someone feel welcome or comfortable, it's because of the work um, that she allows Jesus to do in her life. She's a true um, conversationalist, and she loves hearing about people's lives. Growing up, my friends would ask me how she was doing and whether or not she was going to be at my house when they were hanging out. And I'm like, guys, are you friends with me or my mom? <laughs> um, she is uh, the most creative person I know. She was the designer of the, uh, the costume Kyle's wearing. Uh, <laughs> and she, she still has a great voice. I also have received from my mom earnest emotions which I'm very thankful for. Uh, 
uh, Scott and Lisa are not home now, please leave a message to most of you. And hopefully to everyone, this means nothing at all. Uh, but to me, they are the contents of the best answering machine I have ever heard in my life. And it was recorded by Dr. Scott T. Andrews back there. Um, Scott was born in Rochester, New York, found his way to Seattle a couple of years later with his family. Um, he's a local boy. He went to Roosevelt High School uh, and then to UW, where he stayed for too many years. Uh, <laughs> Scott is the lights-out three-point shooter. I, can, I cannot tell you how many times playing horse with him resulted in me pouting for like an hour. Uh, but that just happens, you know. He pursued dentistry uh, for nine years here at UW. Initially, I thought it was eight, so I texted him to confirm. Uh, and his response was, try nine years. Too much IMA basketball. <laughs> I learned from the best. Um, yep, in this photo, I think I'm about six years old. Scott's looking like 43 there. There's Kyle. Um, yeah, so it did take him nine years uh, to complete uh, the School of Dentistry there. Uh, hearing this may not lead you to believe in him being a guy who works hard, but that's far from the truth. My dad is one of the most hardworking guys I'll ever meet. And for one day, and one day, I hope to be half as hardworking as he is for my family. Um, all right, before we get going, let me pray. Lord, here we are. Talk to us. Speak through me. During this time, I hope to do nothing more than to turn people to you. We thank you for the space of worship for college students. In your name we pray, amen. All right, guys, uh, today we find ourselves in week two of our series of the Psalms entitled Dear God. During this series, we not only hope to give you guys a better understanding of the different types of Psalms, but also to inform you of some uh, appropriate guidelines for responding to God and all the up and down seasons of your life, because life definitely does have its ups and downs. Um, okay, so there are three different types of psalms. We have psalm of orientation, which Ryan talked about last week, psalms of disorientation, which we will talk about tonight, and psalms of reorientation, which will be talked about next week. Um, last week, we started our three-part series off with psalms of orientation. Ryan shared with us the importance of praising God. In saying what we like about God, which is basically what we are doing when we praise, we are reminding ourselves of a bigger reality. So slow down and observe that bigger reality by creating its, or by praising its creator. Okay, so that was last week. This week, we will be looking at Psalm 13, which is a psalm of disorientation. Wait a second. What the heck is a psalm of disorientation? Wait a second, what the heck is a psalm? Okay. <laughs> For those of you who weren't here last week uh, or simply aren't quite sure what a psalm is, a psalm is a song or a poem commonly expressing emotion towards God and or towards life. Um, okay. Excuse me. Okay. Yes, that's true. 
That's what a psalm is. Uh, there are 150 of them total uh, in the book of Psalms. Many of them are attributed to this guy named David. I think a lot of you have heard a story uh, about David and Goliath. Goliath was a huge Philistine warrior. David was a teenager when uh, he killed Goliath, uh, who was a Philistine warrior. Um, he killed Goliath with a sling and a rock. And he was only a teenager at the time. Uh, he later went on to be the king of Israel, one of the kings of Israel. And he was attributed to a lot of the Psalms, not all of them. So we learned just now a psalm is a song or a poem, commonly expressing emotion towards God and or towards life. Okay, what is a psalm of disorientation? Imagine yourself walking in a field. And if it helps you guys, close your eyes. Imagine yourself walking in a field. The ground is quite flat. The weather is quite nice. Nothing is impeding you from continuing on your walk. Things are smooth. There are no obstructions. All of a sudden, you find yourself in a, in a hole that you cannot climb out of. No one can see you. You can't see anyone else. You scream, but no one hears you. This moment in the hole is representative of those dark, lonely times in which you feel God is so far away from you. You guys can open your eyes now. So far away from you, maybe even non-existent. In that moment, in that moment, in the hole, you would write a psalm of disorientation, uh, which can be defined as a written lament that asks, where are you, God? Why have you abandoned me? The number often varies depending on who's counting. But of the 150 psalms in the book of Psalms, at least 59 and up to 66 of them can be considered psalms of disorientation. That's roughly 40%, making it the most numerous type of psalm in the, in the, in the book of Psalms. When I first realized this, I thought, I thought it so strange, so distant. What is all this negative emotion doing towards God? in the book that was inspired by God to lead us to him. This seemed backward to me. Shouldn't the authors have reminded us of all the great moments that God has helped other people out, the moments where God has blessed other people? If we're talking surface level, maybe, yeah. But then I thought for a second about life. Life is not like walking in a field without any without any holes, without any obstructions. It's not like that. I think we'd be kidding ourselves if we claimed life was perfect all the time, if it was great all the time. Life is rife with disequilibrium, with sorrow, with pain and sadness. Just as the Psalms of disorientation portray. And I know this sadness exists not only in what I have experienced in my life, but also in the opportunities I've had in getting to know some of you guys and your stories. We all have our stories, and they're more than just paragraphs in a journal. They shape who we are, and our reactions 
shape our relationship with God. What my first prayer is, my first prayer would be that you guys know you're not alone in the grief. Okay. In Psalm 13, our first psalm, or our psalm of disorientation for the night, verses 1 and 2 read, How long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? What do we hear? I hear someone who's in trouble, someone who's sad. He feels God is ignoring him. Will you forgive me forever, he writes. How long will you hide your face from me? I don't need to explain that to you guys. It's pretty cut and dry. He's wondering where God is. David is in a sucky situation, and he wants his Lord to show up. What struck me the most was that David was a pretty important guy in the Bible. He was the king of Israel, the king of God's chosen people. Yet he had to go through pains as well. This does not seem fair. This does not seem right. Uh, But you see me, you, the guy next to you and the girl behind you, people 2,000 years ago, we all have either felt it or we're feeling it right now. Where are you, God? How is it even possible that these things are happening in my life? I first truly asked this question last year in Spain. Um, After having graduated in 2011, I flew across the pond, as the saying goes, and I moved to España, uh, where there is no shortage of middle-aged men wearing Barcelona soccer sweatsuits. (laughs) And I'm serious. Every time I left my apartment, there were at least three guys in the bar right next to my apartment watching soccer, wearing the exact same thing, every time without fail. Um, I lived in a pretty small town with a population of about 100,000. The town was called Jaén. Jaén was known for one thing, and that they were known for olives. Um, Spain produces more olive oil than any country in the world. It produces 44% of the the world's olive oil. Jaén, which is a state, a province in Spain. Okay, let's think for a second. Spain is about the size of Oregon, okay? Divide Oregon into 50 parts. One of those parts is Jaén. That small part, 150th of Oregon, producing 33%, if you do the math, of the world's olive oil. You guys, come on. Um, Needless to say, this city is considered the olive oil capital of the world. Um, and even before calculating these numbers out, I, I never doubted that for a second. <laughs> the town was completely surrounded by olive trees. In, in any direction you looked, for 20 miles, the only thing you'd see were olive trees and little green dots. Those little green dots were olive trees just very far away. <laughs> Um, I had a great time in Spain. I really did. Definitely, it was the most memorable year of my life. 
I lived with two Italians who spoke just as much with their hands as they did with their mouths. Um, and I also lived with a really cool guy named Gustavo, a Brazilian guy. Rosanna is on the right with Gustavo up there, and Piero is down here. He's the Italian one. And those are Piero's parents. Um, yeah, they were great, great roommates. What, I was, what was I doing in Spain? Um, I was teaching English. Uh, that's what I went there to do. That was my job. I taught English at an elementary school in a tiny village of 2,000 people. Uh, that was the reason I went, to teach English, like I said. Here we have, on the, the right, the four bigger people. Those are, one of those guys is a teacher. The other three are interns uh, from the college nearby. And these kids, the, if, if the kids saw a camera, they would go to the camera. They wouldn't smile. They wouldn't pose. They just went to where the camera was facing. It was really weird. Um, it was really weird. The kids were amazing. Um, I don't think any of them wanted to learn English, uh, but we had a great time in class, regardless. Um, I got made fun of at recess by little girls all the time for not being able to compete with the 12-year-old boys in soccer. They were good. Uh, and I'm sure the teachers were also making fun of me for playing with little boys at recess. Um, as a whole, I loved my time in Spain. I walked out of that country 10 months later with new friends, new souvenirs, a drawer full of train and bus tickets from all the traveling I did, and a level of Spanish I thought I would never achieve. But I'd be lying <clears throat> if I said all was dandy. Like King David, I also cried out for God. I cried out for God to intercept my thoughts during a time of doubt. Doubt that resulted from a number of things. I tried to read the whole Bible in a year, but my attempts to interpret certain passages led me to unanswered questions and a state of confusion as to what God's character really was. Um, the Bible is a book that is still trying to be understood today, in 2013, by biblical scholars who studied the word for more than half their lives. In doing it on my own, without a community, without much previous knowledge, was I setting myself up for problems? I think I was. Another thing that fueled my doubts were, was a lack of Christian community. I had minimal encouragement. I felt very lonely at times. I had friends, but they weren't the ones that would sit me down and ask me how I really was doing. My thoughts and confusions became anxieties that I dwelled way too much on. It wouldn't go away. On top of all this, um, one of my colleagues at this school had a, had a miscarriage. Her baby died in her stomach before birth. Needless to say, I wanted to know why. 
I felt trapped in a perfect storm. Anxiety overwhelmed me. As I began to wonder if, if God was even there, what was I supposed to do? How can we possibly show faith midst our lament, our seasons of lament? We do it by admitting our thoughts, our pains, our sorrows, and our doubts to God. We do it by sharing our true feelings with Him. Acknowledging your negativity, bringing your doubts to God, these are not, <coughs> excuse me, these are not acts of unfaith. Bringing your doubts to God, that's not an act of unfaith, but rather it's an act of bold faith. Walter Brueggemann, he was a professor of Old Testament studies at Columbia University. He believes that these are acts of bold faith because they insist that the world must be experienced as it really is, full of pleasantries and pains. Not in some pretend way. Not in some pretend way where pain doesn't exist. God is the final reference for all of life. He's the king of listening. Everything must be brought to speech. And that which we bring to speech, in this case tonight, our laments, our doubts, that which we, that which we bring, to bring to speech must be addressed to God. We must speak of these topics with him. I have no idea why, but in Spain, that's what I did. So many nights, so many afternoons, I told God how uncomfortable I felt. Why did I continue to give up my thoughts to him when days and months passed and I wasn't feeling any better? I'm still not quite sure what led me to the continuation of explaining to God what was going on in my mind. It just felt right. The Holy Spirit was pushing me, but it took me a little, it took me a little time to realize it. Tell God how you're feeling. If we aren't vulnerable with God and honest with God, are we being honest with ourselves? When we admit something to God, we are admitting that within ourselves, there is disequilibrium. Admitting that creates space for God to work. God, I haven't talked to my sister in two years. I don't feel good about it. Lord, I don't understand. Why did it have to be my parents that got sick? I need comfort. Lord, why are all these people dying from tornadoes? What's that about? God, I feel like going out and getting drunk is the most important part of my life. Why? God, I thought you wanted me to be a doctor, but I didn't get accepted into medical school. How's that going to happen? You guys, when you think of these thoughts, when you have these thoughts, do you bring them to God? The God of the universe wants you to tell him because he wants to be in relationship with you. The psalm continues, and in verse 3, we read, Look on me and answer, Lord my God. 
Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. Look on me and answer. Look on me and answer, David says. He wants an answer. And so do we, I imagine. You have a decision. You've admitted to God your thoughts. You've informed him of how you feel. It's time to take action. Either turn to God or turn away from him. The decision is yours. But if you were to ask me for advice, I'd take your shoulders and I'd turn you right towards me. What does that look like, turning to God? I tell you guys to turn to God. What does that look like? Wipe the dust off your journal. Engage with God. Put your feelings and prayers down on paper. Don't bottle them up in your mind. By writing them down, you have the opportunity to look at them days, months, weeks later to see what God has done. Another way, surround yourself with the correct community. People who are going to ask you about your struggles and encourage you in your doubts or your feelings of abandonment. Turning God for me, it meant stepping a little outside of my comfort zone to trust him. The thought of staying another year in Spain, this beautiful country where I was one hour away from very unique cities, was a thought that always loomed in my mind, staying another year. But internally and externally, I felt pushed to apply for this job, and so I did. God didn't promptly give me the answers to my questions or provide me with a Christian community in Spain when I had asked for it which is what I thought I needed, but apparently it wasn't. He gave me an opportunity, and I trusted it with him. Turn to God. In the last part of the Psalm 13, King David writes, But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. Would you please bow your heads and pray with me? Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to share. Like David, I pray that we would also remember to trust in your unfailing love when we face our trials head on. It is in these scary places of disorientation that you present us with new life when we turn to you. In knowing this, push us to bring our thoughts to you to turn to you when we're feeling like you've left us for good. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.